Happy Father's Day. Linda, did you get me something for Father's Day? Did you really? Dang, it showed me up again. I've been very public that I never gave her anything for Mother's Day because, man, help me, she's not my mother, exactly. So, what is wrong with that logic? All right. We're going to talk about what dads teach us about God and the things of God. What do dads teach us about God and the things of God? Five weeks ago, I preached a sermon called, What Do Moms Teach Us About God and the Things of God? But I want to talk about dads. My dad, you guys, my dad was awesome. My dad, I've lost my dad eight and a half years ago now. My dad was a strong, capable guy. He was the kind of guy that was always like, you know, rebuilding his own motors. He would be, I'd be like, I think I need a brake, you know, job. He'd be like, come on, let's go, you know, jack up the car. We'd be underneath and you know, that was the kind of dad my, husband, my dad was. At the same time, he was, a, he was a really tender-hearted guy. He was very tiring. He had a lot of feelings. I have this image of my dad laying on the living room carpet, staring out at the beautiful view out our front window at the trees that were outside of our house. I got up early in the morning. My dad would be laying there like this, often with a cigarette in his mouth, laying there looking at the thing. And I would come up and find I could snuggle in that little spoon place as a little boy in my jammies and next to my dad. Like, I have that memory of my dad as well as, like, rebuilding the engine in my Mustang. Like, that's my my dad. I have those images of my dad in my head, strong. And I've told you this, uh, this story about my dad uh, before, I'm sure. My dad was, a, um, he was a, a safety engineer and a risk manager for his whole career. But my favorite story about my dad was when we were painting the house and he couldn't reach. The extension ladder had gotten to the end of its extending, on, lived on a hillside, and we couldn't get up underneath the eaves at the very top uh, floor. And uh, I told you this, you remember this story? So my dad thought it would be an awesome idea that if he gave me a roller or a paintbrush, and uh, uh, we went up on the roof, what he could do is put a garden hose through the belt loops of my jeans. <laughs> Licensed safety engineer, my dad was. <laughs> and, uh, and then he would uh, take the hose up and he would wrap it around the chimney and then he'd put the other end around himself and then he'd sit on the roof and light a cigarette and let me down over the edge. <laughs> Don't miss anything. Something in my dad knew, though, that that was not entirely necessary. It was completely safe, but I would be telling that story to you eight years after his death. He knew that, and I could just see him up there smiling like, this is a crack up, you know? <laughs> Strong, capable, risky, dangerous. This is my relationship with my dad. But all the time, I got you. Dads teach us about God. Dads teach us about God. This, the, 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 they're a picture of God. They're a picture of our relationship with God. Risky, dangerous, but safe, strong, and tender. Dads teach us about our relationship with God. The main image in Scripture, as we're all familiar with, is this image of the Father. It's the main image of how God is portrayed. And like I talked to you about it five weeks ago when we talked about the, uh, the moms are a picture of God in some ways as well. But that's the main picture. It's not about gender. God isn't seen as having gender. 
God is seeing, though, in these series of pictures for us because God is not a person and God is, not, although he's personable, and he's not gendered even though he's like a mother in some ways as we looked at. But father was the way that he decided to reveal himself almost, uh, well, it is the majority of the time, the picture in scripture, father. So what is it about this image of father, not man, but father that is in scriptures that tells us about God and the things of God? In the biblical times, the father was the ultimate authority in their home. As we talked about, the moms had incredible responsibility and influence, and they were a picture of God as well. But the fathers were the authority in the household back then, worthy of respect and honor, final say, all that kind of stuff. And yet they had this responsibility to be tender with their children and raise their children in love and care and provision and instruction. That was all actually the father's responsibility. So he had this incredible authority, but with incredible responsibility. That becomes the backdrop of this image of our God as a father. Incredible authority, but incredible responsibility to be in relationship raising the children. So what does that image teach us? What does the image of Father intend to teach us about God? Now remember, this sermon is not really about you as a father. This is not a sermon to dads. This is a sermon about God. The scriptures exalt the Lord. They call us to some responsibility, us as people. But this, the scriptures call God Father to teach us about Him. And every one of us is called to be in a relationship with God. So this sermon's for all of us. And every one of us had a father And so this sermon is for every one of us because how our understanding of Father has evolved has affected our relationship and our concept of our God as a Father. Would you agree with that? Every one of us has had a Father and what we did and did not experience with our earthly fathers has affected our view and our concept of our God as a Father. So this sermon is about what is this image supposed to teach us about great dads? I almost put what great dads teach us about God because it's the perfection ideal. So let's look at some of those in the time that we have left. What did these, uh, this picture tell us? So fathers remind us of these truths. Fathers remind us that you belong to him. Fathers remind us, this picture of fatherhood reminds us that you belong to him. Foundationally, you belong to God. That's the picture of him being a father. Remember, he had the ultimate authority over his household. In fact, he even owned really all of his household, including his kids and his wife and his slaves. And in that idea, that was the backdrop of using this picture. Now, all that is positive, especially in our modern conception of how we treat people. But the picture was you belong to him. You belonged to him. Romans chapter 8, look at these verses, starting at 14 and following. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Children of God. Those who have God's Spirit in them, they're children of God. That's our primary relationship in the Scriptures. We're the children of God. He's our Heavenly Father. He's the Father. We're the children. Verse 15. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is the intimate word. It's the daddy picture. By the spirit within us, God has made it happen that we have become his children. Not as 
property, not his slaves, but his children. And by that spirit within us, we cry out, oh, that's my daddy. You hear the belonging piece? And that adoption word, you guys, before we go to the next uh, part of the scriptures, I want to look at a couple more verses here in Romans 8. But before we go there, that adoption piece, even that's beautiful. And some of you with adoption stories, it's absolutely beautiful to take... And you know that, that some family came and said, I picked you. And I know adopted kids who said, my understanding of God is more powerful than those people who live with their birth parents because my parents picked me. They went to the catalog and they said, you are the one we want. We don't have to have you, but we want you. Now, that's a great picture, isn't it? But even beyond that picture, we can, if you were cynical, you could say to yourself, well, but adoption, it's sort of like, you know, you're not really our kid, but, you know, we got some room in the house. What's one more mouth at the table? Come on. And some of us think about our relationships with God a little like that. We've been adopted as sons and daughters, but you know what? It's sort of like he said, all right, I created all you guys. Uh, all right, come on. You're in my family. It's not that. I mean, you go further into the theology of our adoption, you, you start getting into the metaphor of you're, we're grafted in. Now we're into horticulture. And you're grafted in where the branch gets put into the trunk and becomes part of the tree and shares the life source, the, the sap, the blood flow. I mean, we become the same essence of God. It's, it's adoption on steroids. It's super spiritual adoption is what it is. And we belong to God and we are in his family. Keep going and look at the next slide. That spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if we share in his sufferings so that we may also share in his glory. There's what this means. We so belong to God, we are so of his essence, that, we, that all that he has, we're in his family and all that he has is ours. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, it says, it says elsewhere, is ours in Jesus. All that God has, all that our gracious, glorious, powerful, awesome God of the universe has, is ours in Christ. We're his. We belong to him, and our destiny is in him. Our legacy is being given to us by him, friends. That's what dads teach us. That's what fathers teach us. Our identity is rooted in that. What is, think about it. What's a more powerful view of your identity when you were a child? It's about your family. It's your family. You go... But this, this is my identity. I live in that house with my family and those are my parents and I have their last name and they take care of me and when I'm sick, they take me to the doctor and they make me go to school and they put food on my table, and, right? You belong to that family. That's your whole identity as a kid. You don't start thinking, you know what? I wonder what it's gonna be like for me to not be in this family. You don't do that until you're 17 and a half and then everybody's ready for you to go not be in the family. But your whole identity is in that family. This is why those of us like me who were kids of a divorced family, why there's such profound um, depth of, okay, I'm going to use the word, panic existentially in me that when my parents got a divorce that I didn't know what it meant about who I was because I belonged to him. Him. 
I was his son. I was their child. Unfortunately, my dad, like many of you that have experienced the heartbreak of divorce, my dad never let me forget for one minute that I was his and everything I had, he had was mine. He was everywhere so that I wouldn't forget it. That's the only hope in that kind of a tragic situation because the child's identity is, this is who I am. Your friends, your, I mean friends, your identity, your destiny, your, even your legacy, your purpose is never a question because your heavenly father has adopted you and grafted you in and you belong to him and everything he has is yours. That is your identity, period. You're not an engineer. You're not a parent. You're not a good neighbor. You are a child of God who has been saved by his son, Jesus. That's your identity. You are part of the family of God and you are rooted in him, grafted into him, into his family, and your destiny is secure and every blessing in Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm is yours and will be forever. That's who you are and that's what defines you. And so when we get up in the morning, we don't say to ourselves, oh my gosh, I got all these things that I'm all about or whatever. We say to ourselves, I am your servant and your child and your heart, God, and this is my life and it is for you. And while I do that, I'm going to go to work today. By the way, that's the message of Christianity. And some of you are sitting here going, wow, that's good news. Yes, it is, my friends. It is not a religion. It is not go out and live according to these morals. It is not try to be people that are nicer than people who don't call themselves Christians. This is about a fundamental change in your identity where you are adopted as a child of God and now your destiny is to live for him for eternity. That's what it means to become a Christian. And by the way, if you this morning say, that's what I've looked for my whole life. I've wanted to understand what this is about, this Jesus thing is about. My friends, that's it right there. And if inside you, even right now, right where you're sitting, you go, that's, I want that. Then right where you're sitting, you say, God, that's what I want. And you will have begun a relationship with Jesus even today. That's what it's about. Ooh, I love the good news. <laughs> fathers remind us that we belong to him. It's very foundational. Second, fathers remind us that he fights for you. He protects you. God, he God is a warrior. This, we're uncomfortable. You, I'm not uncomfortable in my quiet time alone where I don't have to be politically correct and I read the stuff about how God is my warrior and will defeat my enemies for, because of his love and his passion for me. I don't, I don't struggle with that when I'm alone because I can read it in the scriptures and I can read it in the context of this, uh, uh, the culture that, at the time and all that, but I know we get all uncomfortable about that. But my friends, it is true. Our God is a warrior on our behalf. He fights for us and that's what dads are supposed to do. That's what dads are supposed to be about. They bring their strength to the battle for their children. And that's what that image is looking like in Scripture. They bring their strength to the table. Oh, men of God, are you bringing your strength to the table? Even if you're not a dad. There's something in our politically correct world, listen, 
Men bring strength to the table and they abuse it most of the time. But you bring godly strength by the Spirit of God, tempered and matured by God Himself to the table. You will see God strength fruit out of that, man. And that's the picture. That's what Father Figure reminds us that God does that for us and He protects us. There's this, there's this infamous story in my family uh, history where we were at Newport Beach and I was little and I was with my dad and all his relatives and we'd gone out to a nice dinner. And my dad, actually, my dad, man, my dad was sharp. My dad dressed. He always had really nice clothes and he was always very concerned about his appearance. And he, my dad had a brand new suit on that he had really. Everybody was pretty impressed with, and he was kind of showing it off. And they're at Newport Beach, and they're walking on the boardwalk after dinner, and we're all there, and I'm like two. And then we decide to go to the sand, and everybody rolls up their, their pant legs and walks around the sand. And then I just, the little kids decide to go out near the water, right? You see where this is going, don't you? Rogue wave comes up, grabs me, starts taking me out to sea. And the great story of my dad, who was so conscious of his looks, who booked for the ocean in his beautiful brand new suit and had to go all the way in to get me and rescued me and carried me in his arms out of the ocean, dripping wet to the howls and delight of the rest of his family. (laughs) Seaweed hanging off of his brand new suit. Our God fights for us. I know this is a dad. Some of you are dads. You know this image. Some of you have been fought for. Some of you feel it inside you. I remember when Emily was, my daughter, our daughter Emily went to France two summers in a row doing some ministry. And the first summer she severely sprained her ankle and got stuck, was totally immobile. And the second summer she got sick. You're never going away ever again is how that works, Emily. But I remember both times it were two weeks of me Skyping her in front of the computer, my dad, Indian scout, ear to the ground, antenna up, I'm on duty. I couldn't sleep. I was Skyping. I was got, had tickets on hold. I was like 2800 bucks for, for us to fly there right now, tomorrow. That's, that's oh, perfect. We'll do that. You know, I mean, I was ready to figure that deal out. What do we got to do? I've had that with every one of my kids. They hate it because they know when they're on a road trip that I call every 45 minutes. Hey, where are you? I don't know. I'm somewhere on I-5. Really? Do you see an exit sign? They're like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> That's the warrior in me. I'm fighting for them. And if they said, Daddy, the car's made a funny nose and I'm on the side of the road, right? What would happen? In the car. It's what we do. Our God fights for us. He protects us. Look at this. Look at the image in Deuteronomy. This is the context here. This is Moses reminding the people of Israel that they weren't willing to go into the promised land when they should have at the first time. And now they've wandered for 40 years. And then Moses says this to them. But you were unwilling to go up. This is 40 years later. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tent saying, the Lord hates us. Hang on. Parenthetical. Stop. When we're on our journey with God sometime. It feels like he's not fighting for us, but he's left us alone. And we can even go to the crazy thinking place to say, man, the Lord must hate me. But he is a father who we belong to, who fights for us. But sometimes in our daily moments, we feel like, he must hate me. Anybody ever have that? So these guys, he, the Lord, they're saying that. So he brought us out of Egypt, 
to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, apparently, to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. That is in the promised land. The cities are large. Remember, they sent the spies and they got the report back. The walls are up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. For goodness sakes, the Anakites. Moses says, verse 29, Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You've seen him work on your behalf before. He did incredible miracles for you. Verse 31, he saw it in the wilderness too. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you reach this place. He has been with you and fought for you and carried you like a child in your father's arm in his father's arms all the way to this very moment do not be afraid now that's a message that fathers teach us that we got to be reminded of is that not right because in the middle of it we go where is our god nobody's fighting for me god must hate me he doesn't care but he's carrying us in his mighty arms through adversity through danger through enemies friends the point is he is for us. He is there for us. He is fighting for us, even when it's not readily apparent how he's winning the battle. And so Jesus said to his disciples before he left them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house, there are many rooms. I'm coming back. And a couple chapters less in John 14, a couple chapters later in John 16, he said, in this world you will have trouble and enemies and discouragement and distraction and obstacles, etc. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I have fought your enemies and I am winning. You're going to have trouble but I am your warrior. I'm your protector. That's what dads teach us. He provides for, we belong to him, sorry, and he fights for us or protects us. Third, he provides for us. He provides for us. You almost see a, you almost see a, a progression here, don't you? We belong to him, but, but beyond that, he, he protects us. And beyond that, he provides for us. And I would say even beyond providing, he gives us gifts. That's what you see in Scripture. He pours out gifts to us. Uh, look at these Scriptures, Matthew 6. So do not worry. Remember all that? There, you can go look at the context in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, that word meant the people who did not acknowledge an existence of God. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then these things will be given to you as well. Look at the next uh, chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7 of Matthew. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son or daughter, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, in comparison to God, and you're broken and you are evil and sinful, if you then, though you are evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good, give good gifts to those 
who ask him. This is a God who not only do we belong to him, not only does he protect us, but he provides for us and gives us gifts and blows us away with his generosity. My dad, I get this, my dad was generous. It's what dads are supposed to have taught us. My dad was so generous. When I didn't know where provision was going to come from, my dad would show up and help. Now, my dad built a strong sense of responsibility into me, so I'm not talking about overparenting or not teaching anybody how to take responsibility for themselves. There's a great balance. That's a parenting seminar, different sermon. But my dad was so generous in the midst of that. I would go show up at my dad's house. He'd go, hey, let's go get a hot dog or something. We'd go, and he'd go, let's take your car. Well, hey, let's swing by and see my buddy Joe at the tire place. Man, four new pieces of meat right on my car tires. <laughs> What are you doing? Don't let your car get below a quarter of a tank. You're going to suck junk into your fuel filter. Get over there to Shell. Let me, let me put some, I got it. I got it. Put gas in my car. My dad was so generous. Uh, senior Ball, my dad showed up at the restaurant the day before Senior Ball and gave them his credit card so that when we had the fancy French meal in San Francisco at, at Le Club in San Francisco, we got to the end, they said, the bill's already been taken care of. My dad. My dad booked us the first night of our honeymoon at Auberge du Soleil in Rutherford and gave that to us as a gift. It's $14,000 a night or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> my dad was generous. I was 28 years old before my dad stopped stuffing $20 bills into my pocket when I left his house. Here's a little money for the road. Dad, I'm 28. My dad was generous. You see, it speaks to our, the core question, if we understand this about God. Our core question, friends, you know what our core question is? Does he care? Does he know my needs? Does he remember me? Is he on duty and is he paying attention? Because, oh my God, if you leave me alone, I will not survive this, God. Do you notice me? That core question is answered in this image of the gracious and generous Father that's, that is talked about in Scripture. Our God provides and brings gifts. And so we hold on to that truth that He is our Father and He knows our needs, Matthew said, before we even ask it. He's on it. And He's for us. Man, I hope even some of you today could open your eyes. That our God is bringing you gifts. And you got gifts in your life that you may not even have seen because in our fear that maybe he's going to forget you, you're not even seeing how he's providing for you. Every day is a gift. Every moment is a gift. There's opportunities all around us to know the goodness and the provision of God. That's who our Father is. And some of us need the reminder that God is not up there going, oh yeah, that's right. Out of sight, out of mind. Our God is up there saying, I know you, and I'm watching, and I'm way ahead, and I'm providing all that you need and gifting you every day. That's our generous God. So we belong to him. He fights for us. He, he provides for us. And last, he delights in you. See the progression here? Here's the point I want to make to you before we quit. He wants to do this. Our God wants to do this for you. He delights in who you are. Look at the passage from Zephaniah. Sing, daughter. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud. 
Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord, here's the, it's the picture of us being the child of God. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. There's the protection and the fighting. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say, on what day? On the day when the kingdom comes fully. And friends, we live now but not yet into that. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp as in despair. Verse 17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He is mighty to save, church, and he will take great delight in you. It means just what it means in English. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He's crazy about you. He chooses you. He smiles at the thought of you. He brags in heaven in the presence of all of the angels about you and he shows them your picture. And he's happy to do it. All of this fathering that God does, belonging and providing and fighting and protecting, it's because he delights in who you are. And that concept... We have to get our heads around and we miss all of it. He wants to do that. Friends, I remember I started my children's life by singing over them. When they didn't go, what are you doing? <laughs> but as babies, we had the three girls in one room. You know? Five and three and a baby, all three of them all in one room and Anna rattling the crib and, it, and Brooke and Emily in there looking and three girls in one room and I would come in and I would sing songs. Do you remember the song I would sing too? I would, my Jesus, keeper of this life. You are my savior, my healer, my God. Watch over these little ones tonight. And in their every footstep as they travel this life and in some quiet moment draw them to your side that they may come to know you Jesus as the keeper of their life right it's my heart oh come on now <laughs> I started their lives by singing over them but that has been nothing in comparison to how that delight has grown as they've emerged into who they're becoming. My walk with God, the longer I learn about who my kids are and what my heart can do toward them, the longer I learn that my heart surges with the love of my Heavenly Father. My relationship with God is off the chart as I learn about how I delight in my kids. He his heart beats when he hears the sound of your voice coming near him. Some of us this morning need a reminder to live in those truths, that he is your father. Live like it, church. He's your heavenly father. Live like he, that you belong to him, and it's your whole identity. 
Live like he's fighting for you and protecting you, even though it's not readily apparent in the moment. Live like he will provide for you and bring you gifts and open our eyes to that. And live today the truth that he wants to do all of it and he delights in you. And Jesus has covered all of your sin and your brokenness. And so you are a perfect, beautiful offering to our God. Live like that. Some of us need that reminder this morning. And others of us, we need more than the reminder. We need the healing that comes from having not seen it, felt it, known that kind of a loving father in our lives. And so it has not taken root in our walk with God that our God is one who is for us and protects us and provides for us and delights in us. We can't get our head around it and so we're stuck spiritually because we cannot see what God is for us. We can't do it. It's just a concept. And we need healing, friends. Either way. You need a reminder this morning. You need healing this morning. I'm here to remind you that these are the truths that God has spoken of and written for us to grow into together.